could cut the tension in the room like a knife. It was unbelievable because the disciples were together, but they were nervous. Herod, Pilate, and Caiaphas were hunting them, and Jesus was gone. They felt alone, not abandoned, but alone. Peter looked at John, John looked at Matthew, Matthew looked at Bartholomew, Bartholomew looked at Thomas, he was doing what he was always doing, sitting in the corner writing up more questions. They were together as a group, but there just wasn't much to say. The new guy in the room, Matthias, was the most nervous of all. He was the 12th man, and his job description was easy, just do better than Judas, no problem. None of them could believe it had been 50 days since Jesus had risen from the dead. No one could believe that Jesus had ascended from the earth already 10 days ago. They gathered to be together. They gathered to be obedient because Jesus had told them to go to Jerusalem and wait. So that's what they were doing. Waiting and praying, praying and waiting. All in the midst of knowing that Herod, Pilate, and Caiaphas, the high priest wanted more than anything to find just one of them who would bring them a body. Because if the body of the Galilean, that itinerant Jewish rabbi who had driven everyone nuts for several years, could just be produced, all of these issues would just go away. So they're in the room together. The new guy noticed it first. A breath of wind that just went past his face and he thought to himself, that's weird, because all the windows and all the doors had been closed in the room to protect them from the prying eyes of Herod and Pilate and Caiaphas. He thought to himself, that's strange, there's no way for wind to get in here, but that's exactly what he felt, just kind of breeze past his face. He was the first one to notice and then Peter picked it up. There was a breeze actually blowing inside of the room, even though all the doors and windows were closed. Peter began to pick up on the stirring and he actually stood to his feet and he began to pray out loud and all of the other guys quickly fell in line and they began to stand. Suddenly the 12 of them there with all of their friends were standing in a circle. The new guy was doing what new guys are supposed to do, following his cue. So he had his eyes closed and his hands folded and he was praying with all passion and fury and then he opened his eyes and what he saw completely freaked him out because dancing around the room were as best he could describe tongues of fire. And they were trying to actually light down on top of his 12 brothers. One of them tried to light down on top of him and he, and he ducked because he didn't want to get burned. He ducked and tried to get out of the way and he saw as the fire began to flip around the room that one of the tongues landed on top of him. It found him but there was no heat, no pain. There was just peace. Peace and comfort and power. And Peter, having one of these tongues of fire on top of him, began to be moved in the Holy Spirit to be unbelievably bold. And he was sick and tired of sitting in a room and waiting and praying. So he opened the door and he walked out into the middle of the town square. People had gathered there from all over the world to celebrate what was known as the Feast of Pentecost. And Peter started talking. And then James started talking. And then Bartholomew started talking. And then Matthew started talking. And even though everyone in the city square had come from different parts of the world and all spoke completely different languages, they were all nodding their head at the same time. Because everyone could understand what these Galileans were saying in their own language. It was a God thing. Don't try and explain it. It was a miracle. It was a Holy Spirit thing. One of the people in the crowd asked, how is this possible? Aren't these guys from Galilee? That's like saying, aren't these guys from Tacoma? 
right? Like they're not from Harvard, they're not from Princeton, and suddenly they're out here and they're talking and we can all understand them even though we're from different parts of the world. Somebody else cried out and said, this is craziness, they're drunk. Quick question for you, when was the last time you saw someone get wasted and they got smarter? <laughs> Just asking. When was the last time you saw someone get completely, completely undone and suddenly they just developed an aptitude for foreign languages which they would share publicly with people? Back to the story, Peter stands up and he proclaims to all of them in their own language and he gives them a history lesson and he boldly states these words, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. In simple terms, Peter's message is this. God sent his kid to love and save you and you killed him. Bad move. Bad move. And the truth hits the crowd hard and, and the one with the drunk comment is suddenly sobered by a truth and it begins to happen. The Bible says when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, the family grows, the Holy Spirit has come, and the world is changed forever. I'm a little early. I will acknowledge that. Next Sunday is what's known as Pentecost Sunday, but this is my last shot before I start preaching the Revelation series if you want to be technical, about 50 days after Easter, Pentecost is actually a week from this Wednesday. But I wanted to walk into this period of time, this beautiful period when the Holy Spirit of God shows up and every single thing changes. So let me review what you just heard, okay? There's an often forgotten fact in the formation of the first church. The followers of Jesus established the first church while Herod, Pilate, and Caiaphas, the high priest, were still in Jerusalem. We often forget that. The three villains in the story didn't just all of a sudden pick up and leave after Jesus was crucified. They're still there. They're still hating. They're still hurting. They're still trying to take out this troublesome little group of people known as the way. So the disciples are scared. I mean, old city Jerusalem, take Fairhaven and like double it to two and a half times. That's pretty much old city Jerusalem. There's not a, real estate to, a lot of real estate to hide in. So they're running scared because the same people who killed Jesus were trying to silence them. But God was working. So I put the highlights of Acts 1 and 2 and Pentecost in your outline. And it's pretty simple, okay? The Holy Spirit comes. God promised that he would come and comfort and help and encourage them. And he did. Secondly, the apostles could speak in languages they didn't know, okay? It's a miracle, so don't try and explain it. You just have to have the faith to believe it. And then thirdly, Peter preaches a simple gospel. I read it to you, but I'm going to read it to you again. Just let it soak in. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, which was a town of about 400 people on the side of the Sea of Galilee. Incidental, out of the way, nobody cared about Nazareth. 
was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. The people he's talking to are some of the same people who experienced the feeding of the 5,000. They were the same people who saw Jesus walk into the town square and touch a blind man, and suddenly he could see. It was the same people who saw him touch a lame person and just said, just stand up and walk and watch what happens. They'd seen this stuff, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan. I just love those words because he's speaking to everybody. thinking, you guys thought you had a plan. You thought you were in charge of this whole thing. You thought you were playing a role over top of this itinerant Jewish rabbi who was driving you nuts with his message. But the reality is this. You weren't planning anything. This was all God. You guys are simply puppets on the end of a string with God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. I love these words. But God. You'd think crucifixion would be the end of the story. Apparently not. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then people are saved. People hear this message, and they're freaking out. We killed the Son of God, that's not going to go well for us. I hate to break this to you, but we can all say that too. Our sin killed the Son of God. And that's what makes me so thankful for the words, but God raised him from the dead. When people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Go to the connection point and get the card that lists off the 25 activities that all good Christians do. Make sure that you have at least two years of perfect Sunday school attendance and make sure that you learn to wear the uniform because you have to wear that and then go out there, clean yourself up just a little bit. When you got your life back together again, then you get to come inside and be a part of our little club. Is that what your Bible says? Come on, 1115, help me out, all right? I've had, I've had no caffeine today at all. I need help, all right? All right? He doesn't say the list. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it all sounds so amazing. It is amazing. I want to encourage you with something. God often does his best work with people that are in survival mode. Now, that's not an excuse to stay there, okay? It's just an observation, I think you can make this assertion if you read Acts 1 and 2. The church is formed in the middle of survival mode. I mean, this little group of people, they were under pressure. They had pain. They were suffering. Members of their family had been killed. They were overwhelmed. They were just trying to make it through the next 24 hours. They didn't even know what they were going to eat. They had problems. They were wrapped in stress. They were just being impaled by questions on a daily basis. We can actually say with absolute certainty the crew in the first century church, they were in survival mode. You know what's amazing to me? The 21st century church is not very much in a different spot, is it? Not really. I mean, if some of you look back over the last couple of weeks, you could probably say pressure, check, pain, check, suffering, check, overwhelm, pretty much, yeah. Just trying to get through today, absolutely. Problems, stress, and questions, wow. Now, this is where it gets interesting. 
Because people in the 21st century, when we go into survival mode, we tend to, not always, but for the most part, we tend to isolate and shut down and hide and retreat and get frustrated. We try to find a way out. We worry a lot. And if you're me, you cry. That's how it rolls, okay? I described it the first week, right? We have those moments when we're just like, you know, we, we, we summon up the courage to get up in the morning. We make our way to the car. We hit the garage door button. We take a deep breath. We move out into the world. We walk through the day like a robot just trying to punch the right buttons at the right time. And we live for that moment at the end of the day when we can drive back into the garage unscathed so we can close the door and have four or five hours of just looking after ourselves. That's what we face. Add on top of that, three villains trying to kill you and you get a better picture of the first century church. Now, this is what's amazing to me. We tend to isolate and hide. That is absolutely the opposite of what the first century church actually did. If we went left, they went right. Let me read it to you at the, Acts, uh, at the end of Acts chapter 2. So, remember, they're being chased by people who want to murder them. They have all the problems and stresses that you have multiplied by who knows how much. And this is what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property, possessions, and gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So let's take a look at this. As a group of people who may be experiencing survival mode, let's take a look at a group of people who had more pressure on them and, and see whether or not their response would be the same response that we had. Because if I had the same response, it would basically be like, I'm just, I'm out of here. I'm out. But that's not what happens. Let's take a look at it. It starts with this. They didn't rely on earthly wisdom. They grounded themselves in godly wisdom. So in the pressure of life, they turned towards the truth, not away from the truth. They listened to the word of God from people who had actually known Jesus firsthand. And they absorbed the teachings of Jesus. But I want to remind you of something. They didn't have Bibles. They were living out the Bible. They would have had the first-hand accounts of people who'd been with Jesus, a few Old Testament pro prophetic books, and probably the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. That's all they would have had. And that's what they were living off of because they were actually living this story live and in real time. But that tells me something. It tells me when you're in survival mode, if you have the words of Jesus, you've got enough. Maybe you need to hear that, right? It's just like, love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. All power and authority has been given to me, but now I've given it to you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I mean, let's just be honest. Earthly wisdom in this situation would have said, run, get out of town, leave, save yourselves. Godly wisdom said, stay, wait, pray. Now go, not go out of the city, go to the city, move, share, and spread this simple message. As much as Herod, Pilate, and Caiaphas want Jesus dead, the truth is Jesus is alive. That's your message. Let's keep going. They didn't pull away, they pressed in. The Bible says they devoted themselves to fellowship. 
Now, let's be honest. We don't use the word fellowship very much unless we're watching, uh, you know, a trilogy of the Lord of the Rings, right? And then we got the fellowship thing down. But fellowship is basically this. It's a friendly association of commonly interested people. Doesn't that sound benign and boring to anybody else? Just a, it's just a nice little group that just kind of gets together with a focal point, all right? This group comes together, but they are in survival mode. So the thing that they're actually coming together around is basically twofold. The message of Jesus and living to tell the story for another day. It's as simple as that. Okay? They came together. That's so important because I'm going to tell you this. If you are in survival mode, you feel completely overwhelmed right now, you're naturally prone to pull away. You're naturally prone to go and do your own thing and isolate yourself. And Jesus wants you to do exactly the opposite. He wants you to be with his people. He wants you to pray with his people. He wants you to worship with his people. I don't know why you came this morning, but that's what you've been doing. He wants you to come in with God's people and lay your burden down and not pick it up again when you leave. He wants you to take the courageous act of coming to the front after the service and saying, this is what I'm dealing with. Can somebody else pray with me about this? God wants his people to be together. We'll come back to that. Thirdly, they didn't eat alone, they ate together. Now we look at that and go, that seems so insignificant. What's the big deal about that? It's not insignificant if the goal of your meeting together and eating together is family and the topic is Jesus. Then it becomes a spiritually dynamic environment. The Bible says they broke bread together as they were doing what? We learned this in week number one, as they were pursuing the bread of life. We have a big table back in our staff area and every day around noon, Whoever happens to be in the building that brought their little lunch with them, they just naturally gather in one place. And I'm always amazed when I walk into the room because this is what I see. I see laughter. I see conversation. I see people sharing with each other. And it's all over food. These people ate together. They did life together. That's a clue. We're going to come back to it. Next, they didn't pout. They prayed all right? Has anyone else noticed that whining and complaining comes naturally to human beings? I mean, if we can whine and complain about, we're going to, right? We complain about the government. We complain about the heat. It's too hot. It's too cold. There's too much air conditioning on. They got the heater on in here. What's the deal? I mean, we just complain naturally. When you're in survival mode, whining increases. It just goes up. Let me tell you my testimony from the last 10 days, okay? So my wife and I did a detox cleanse for 10 days, okay? That means I'm operating this morning with no sugar, no caffeine, no gluten, and no dairy. <laughs> All right? And this is what I noticed. As the toxins in my body decreased, my whining increased. All right? That was miserable. That was miserable. Today is the final day of the cleanse. I am free in Christ. That's all I'm saying, all right? <laughs> Now, I'm going to exercise that freedom in a healthy way, but I'm free in Christ, all right? So, the first church was facing unbelievable pressure. You would think that would increase their whining and complaining. That's exactly the opposite of what they gave themselves to. The Bible says they prayed. They prayed for courage and strength and hope. They prayed for Jesus to come back. Getting ready to do the book of Revelation starting in 14 days. I hope you're ready. I am most certainly not. Here's what's amazing 
about the book of Revelation. I'm just, I'm going I'm to blow the whole series for you. I read the last page, and the story turns out really, really good. But there's this beautiful little set of verses in the last couple of chapters that have just captured me because I believe they would represent what the church would have been praying in the first century and what we're still praying all of those centuries later. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come back today. Today would be a great day to take us out and to take us home. So they didn't pout, they prayed. Here's the next one. They developed a sense of awe, not a sense of doubt. The Bible says, and everyone was filled with the awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So they were in awe. When I first read this, I kind of, there was a check in my spirit. I'm like, it is never good when people are in awe of other people. I mean, I'm just going to tell you this. Don't ever put your focus on the guy up front with the microphone strapped to his head. He will disappoint you. He will absolutely disappoint you. Can I get an amen from 1115, right? I mean, we need to know that. That 